This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero e ranga e tereo e rangi tangata o Manawatu. It is the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio uh, and we are turning our attention to Massey University this morning. And if you've been listening to the catch-up for the past few weeks, you'll know that we've had a focus on the School of Humanities and Social Sciences. We're taking a bit of a right turn today because that's not, you know, Massey doesn't stop there. There's a lot going on in Massey. Uh, and this morning we have Professor Andy Martin from the School of Sport and Physical Education. Good morning to you. Kira. Uh, so it's the School of Sport, Exercise and Nutrition. You are a professor in sport and physical education. Uh, you were named a principal fellow of the Higher Education Academy in 2021 in recognition of your teaching scholarship and leadership in the field of work integrated learning, which we're going to be talking about today. Um, this will be a, a thing to unpack. And I'm going to be... I'm going to give you what I think it is, and you tell us what it actually is. Work-integrated learning seems to me, in the academic and tertiary field, like an apprenticeship might be in the trades, in that it's that sort of learning-on-the-job-style approach. Am I being unfairly simple in my description? No, I think you're pretty close. I guess the maybe the the point of difference there in terms of a, a university work integrated learning program is the word integrated. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the key the key part is that link of theory to practice. So as you rightly said, uh, students going out into the workplace and having an opportunity to put in into place that theory that they've learned over the last couple of years um, in an internship program or a practicum or some sort of uh, field placement, mm-hmm. um, etc. And um, I guess Massey's really well placed for that because a lot of the programs that we run at Massey are really applied. Um, so if you think of here on the Manawatu campus, VET, mm-hmm. for example, obviously the AG programs, HORT, um, and of course sport. Um, so we've been doing this for, this is actually our 30th year of wow. uh, placing students uh, around the country um, in various sport organisations um, and also internationally. So um now we've got a lot of graduates out there, um, and thankfully they're really keen to also have our students mm-hmm. um, in their workplaces. Ah, the circle of life. Absolutely. So it, it really is a win-win, and, and we've developed this sort of network of graduates. Um, they kind of know the, the standard we expect, mm-hmm. um, and so often they're really keen to have our graduates because or our students because they know – that's the, the bar that we've set. So, um, yeah, no, it's win-win. So, I mean, you're talking about taking students uh, into real-life workplaces because you mentioned uh, the, the ag side of Massey and people will be familiar with the Massey farms that are dotted all over the place. And whilst they are working farms, there is a strong educational component to those places. They're not there there's a difference between a, a working farm that you'll see out in the country somewhere and what you see out to Rotea Way. Are you putting people into educational establishments with these programs or are they going into sort of commercial endeavours as well? Uh, actually, both. Um, so the programme that we currently run, so f- for example, here in Manawatu, we've got students placed at Sport Manawatu. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our regional sport organisations 
uh, Manawatu Rugby. Um, so the, the Turbos games, for example, are, are managed by our students. Um, basketball, Manawatu, all the, um, I guess, sport development type activities, at cricket, um, netball, uh, are run by our students. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's the added value. Um, these organisations have hopefully keen, enthusiastic students that want to put in, into practice the theory they've learnt. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they've got some pretty new ideas. Uh, maybe they've been you know, sat in a classroom thinking, well, I don't quite believe all this stuff, but I've got a good idea. And So when they actually get out into the workplace, they have an opportunity to, I guess, put their stamp um, on the sport organisation. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of, I, I guess, added value. Most sport organisations in Palmy and, and New Zealand are fairly small. Um, so often our student coming in um, may become the two IC automatically yep. um, because there's only one paid employee. You know, yep. b- basketball, for example, would get example um, one or two in paid employees. So um, student comes in and and all oh, right, you can run that. So you can lead that. Yep. So um, some really good opportunities. Trial by fire, that absolutely. There's there's a little bit of arguably a little bit of deep end learning. Yeah. Um, so you know you maybe get chucked another deep end. But hopefully there's support in place and, um, yeah, I guess uh, they they thrive. Um, I, I guess this – I mean, you say it's been going for 30 years, but the concept itself is is as old as time. Jump in the deep end uh, – I mean, the term itself comes from the best way to learn is to jump in the deep end. We now know that is not always the case. Right. Um, but with the appropriate uh, support and mentorship, it sometimes can be. Yeah, and very, very much so. I mean, I guess um, another area that I've done my research in is Outward Bound. And, and Outward Bound, you, you go to Outward Bound for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often think that university is a little bit like an Outward Bound experience. It just takes three years. Yep. Um, and when I see these students who go into the workplace, often they're maybe not so confident, you know, they don't have that experience. But at the end of six months of, you know, doing stuff, um, they come out as very competent, capable um, young adults. Mm. And um, I guess also with our distant students, not just young adults, but also older ad- adults that are looking for sort of more professional development um, opportunities as well. So, yeah, it really is win-win, um, I guess, for the students, mm-hmm. uh, but also for the organisations and, and ultimately for Massey as well because um, we're pretty proud of our students. I, I guess you would avoid organisations like this in your placements, but I'm guessing at the beginning of the programme this might not have been so clear. Is there a, a process by which you can avoid that clash of the the student or the graduate with the new sort of officially mandated educational knowledge and the guy that's been around a block the block a couple of times and this is perhaps more prevalent in the trades but you know oh you don't need to do that thing you can take this shortcut and you get it done quicker which might not be good for any potential clients in terms of physical education or, or sport or rehabilitation. But, you know, the, the, there can be clashes between the new ideas and the, the established. Is there, a, is there a, a way to sort of mitigate that? Yeah, I guess um, we've, particularly with our supervisors who are in the industry, um, and the sport industry is a relatively young professional industry. Uh, I guess when I started... 1994, rugby went professional in mm-hmm. 1995. So um, we're relatively young. Um, that probably means that we're relatively young in terms of staffing. Um, but also 30 years on from graduates that were in my first class, yeah. they're now the managers. Yeah. So um, I think there's a lot of openness, um, maybe not quite the same, this is the way it's always been done. Um, if I look back on 
30 years of sport management has changed pretty rapidly. Oh, yes. Um, and, um, you know, if we think back to... We're now very concerned about rugby players banging their heads. Absolutely. So there's a lot of... The, there has been a lot of change, and I guess in the last two years there's a lot been a lot of change. Um, and I guess uh, we've talked, you know, we talked particularly in the last two years with COVID of the importance of our students being adaptable and flexible and resilient. Um, and, and that certainly, you know, plays out in the workplace as mm. well because that's... That's the nature of the sport industry. Um, and, hey, we've had to ha- adapt a lot in the last two years. Well, we have. And actually, it's interesting because you wrote uh, in 2014, I, th- I suspect you're an All Blacks fanatic. Um, you wrote The Legends in Black, a best-selling text on why the All Blacks win. Is it time for them to maybe reread that? Is, is there a chapter in Resilience that might need to come to the fore? Because the results are quite as comprehensive and, en- and encouraging as perhaps they once were. Yeah, that's an interesting. I'll, I'll pick on the first one. I'm definitely not an All Blacks. And, oh. and, and when I start, did the book, um, the, the credit should go to Tom Johnson. Okay. Um, so we've talked about young students. Um, Tom was actually um, 65 when he started doing the research with me on the All Blacks. And he'd, he'd had a lifetime of involvement and passion um, with rugby. Um, he'd started the Golden Oldies back in the 70s. Um, so he deserves a lot of the credit, and I come from England, so I'm more of a football background. Right, got you. Um, my, my kids sort of say, when are you going to write a book about something you know about? But um, <laughs> Tom was the, the driving force behind that. But interestingly, around that, the All Blacks, um, we wrote the book in, because they do win, mm-hmm. and they win a lot. Yes. So we wanted to kind of know why. Yeah. Um, Sell and, the secrets to the rest well, of the world. Is that what you've done? That's right. You'll have to mute the next part of the, <laughs> this, uh, the interview now. Um, I'll make sure it doesn't go overseas. Right. Uh, but no, a lot of it, actually, a lot of it's around culture um, and developing that culture within the All Blacks. Um, and, and we, of course, being good academics, we had a nice model that we looked at. And a lot of um, a lot of what you see is under the surface. So we mm-hmm. talk about this sort of iceberg principle where you see some of the visual things around culture, like the shirt, the black mm-hmm. shirt, the silver fern, the haka. Yeah. Um, but the, Perry the yeah, the stuff <laughs> the stuff below the surface is is really the strong parts of the culture. So the the values, um, the mateship, um, you know, uh, trusting your mate, um, and and a lot of that comes down to it. And interesting with the All Blacks again, this belief in winning. Mm-hmm. So we we often talk in sport as you know, it's not all important to win, especially at the moment. It's it's very <laughs> sort of PC the winning type stuff, but. Uh, there is a very strong focus on winning, um, and they talk about you know you don't really want to play the All Blacks the week after they've lost mm-hmm. um, because they don't lose twice in a row. Yeah, yeah. Although obviously they recently have, um, but the other thing is a very strong learning culture within the All Blacks, um, and that's been you know particularly evident over the last couple, well, couple of decades, I guess, from Graham Henry, who, mm-hmm. and and you've got to give credit to him, who was a um, a school principal, you know, and so it was. That was the way he grew up as a coach, you know, the autocratic, it's my way or the highway. Yep. And then in around 2004 when he came in um, alongside Wayne Smith and Steve Hansen, uh, they you know, changing their style to a more sort of empowering style mm-hmm. um, that actually it's the players on the field that make the decisions. Mm-hmm. So why are we making all the decisions for them? Well, that's an interesting one, though, because I've always thought that the problem in particular with premiership football was there was too much ego. And when you talk about the heyday, well, the more recent heydays of the the All Blacks, there were personalities 
coming out of everywhere, but there weren't egos. Um, and I think that came from having Graham Henry at the top going, right, lads, this is what you're going to do. Much in the same way as um, Ferguson, Manchester oh, United. Absolutely. You know, he, uh, he was in charge of the show. When you put the players in charge, maybe some of the egos start to come out and then, well, I'm better than you and I'm going to say we're going to do this thing. I wonder if that's part of the, the issue. I think one of the things with the All Blacks is they talk about better people make mm-hmm. better All Blacks. And I guess coming back to our initial conversation around the students going to the workplace, I guess for me um, as an educator, yes, it's important that they have some knowledge in sport management or event management or facility management. But actually, I want the students coming out. It's the, it's the people that come out that are more important. Mm. Um, and I think with the All Blacks, you've seen, again, in the last 20 years, you know, a change from that sort of maybe alcohol culture and that sort of thing, which is very strong in rugby. Um, Two, again, that sort of better people make better All Blacks. And and one of the interesting things when we did the research was that there's been more than 1,000 All Blacks um, over time, I think maybe 11 or 1,200 now. Um, But when we looked at the the data, about 250 or 300 of those All Blacks have only played one test. Okay. Now, you might argue, you know, once an All Black, always an All Black, but a lot of All Blacks actually don't, stay in the team for long. So it's important that they're part of the culture. Yeah, it, it um, comes down to culture. Absolutely. I remember seeing, uh, I can't remember what World Cup it was, but there was a big drive to get the, the All Black, get support behind the All Blacks. And there was one scene, I think, down in Dunedin, three of the All Blacks went down to a little knitting circle uh, with the, the little old ladies with their cucumber sandwiches and cups of tea, which is a stereotype I don't wish to enforce anymore, but that's, that's the vibe I got. Turns out one of them used to knit with his gran all the time and he was going gangbusters with this. You know, these huge meat hooks of hands he's got flying through. You go, yeah, I wouldn't see Wayne Rooney doing that back in the UK. Yeah, although I think we've, we've seen that now with, I, mean, I'm a, I have to say I'm a Man United fan. So, you know, Marcus Rashford and, and, you know, during COVID and getting out with the school dinners and free school dinners oh, and all okay, that sort yeah. of thing. So I think, again, it's about developing that culture. Yeah. And um, one of the, the recent books that we've been involved with, again, was looking at the Silver Ferns. Oh. Um, so the Silver Ferns don't quite have the same record as the All Blacks. Um, obviously, they're the number one netball team in New Zealand, but the Aussies actually seem to win quite a lot more than we do. So yep. we were quite keen to look at the culture of the Silver Ferns as well. And they sort of have won the world champs, not well, a bit like the All Blacks, not all the time, but every sort of 16 years. So what, kind of what happens in between? You know, mm. why don't we win all the time? And those, obviously the Aussies do. And again, looking at the culture there, and um, especially with the current environment where we're, you know, mental health and that sort of thing has come to the fore particularly, um, it was really interesting to see that sort of caring culture within the within the Silver Ferns, mm. um, and you know, starting off with Lois Muir, who um, you know back in the in the sixties and seventies as a coach um, was seen as a fairly sort of again authoritarian sort of person, but actually had a very um, empowering, caring side to her coaching as yep. well. And if we go forward now to Nolene and and Nolene Taro and the current team. Again, very, very strong character in terms of, you know, this is what we want, mm-hmm. but also really important to have that, you know, culture within the team. Very quickly, is, is that the, uh, the key component of a successful Kiwi sports team? Uh, a tough face and a caring uh, demeanour? I would argue that probably across all teams, 
You know, it's, it's just we do it best. It's I'm not sure we do it best. Um, it, you've talked about Man United and you know, Alex Ferguson. Mm. I mean, they talk about a family, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So if you look at, across teams, that they often do talk about culture, and then you you look at organisations, and they often talk about culture. Mm-hmm. Um, football in the UK, change your manager every three years. Is that good for your culture? Um, oh, maybe the National Party could learn something. Well, <laughs> you know, it, and, and actually, I say that glibly, and then I think, actually, no, that's what um, what's his name? Who's just come on? I can't. Chris Luxton. Yeah, it, that's what he's talking about, isn't it? He's talking Absolutely. about bringing in the culture because he comes from that business background where it's it's understood. Oh, look, we're all learning something this morning. Right. Uh, we are here with Professor Andy Martin, uh, Professor in Sport and Physical Education in the School of Sport, Exercise, and Nutrition at Massey University, on the catch up. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, do head to the website, npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, this interview will be up there at the, the close of the interview if you're listening to it live uh, on NPR. Um, so make sure you check that out. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Bringing it back, uh, Andy, we took a bit of a left turn, but sometimes that's the nature of these interviews, and I quite like that. But bringing it back... We started talking about work integrated learning, yep. uh, and my sort of glib, but I'll, 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 let's concede not entirely inaccurate uh, comparison to apprenticeships. Um, there's also the the term experiential learning. Are they one in the same, or is, the, is, is there a difference in the in the concepts? I guess the the key there is the method is certainly experiential learning. So experiential learning, um, there was a. A guy a hundred years ago, John Dewey, who talked about having experience doesn't mean you've learned anything. No. So um, you can probably ask a lot of kids who go to school, and um, you know, my young boy comes home and I ask, "What have you learned today?" Nothing. Um, well, actually, he normally says nothing. N u f i n k. So um, yeah, just ha- just having experience doesn't mean you learn anything. So I guess one of the key parts of what we do in terms of the process of just going to work. Um, is the reflective process. So experiential learning is reflecting on an action or reflecting on experience. So going to work, you can do your job and go home and you've learned nothing. Mm -hmm. Or you can go to work and actually you can reflect on that. And so the students are reflecting on their own personal attributes. Um, So it might be around self, you know, self-confidence, self-esteem, um, self-belief that, mm-hmm. hey, well, actually, I can do this stuff in the workplace. Um, time management often is a big one. You know, like they think they're really busy, um, you know, because they've got busy lives and have to work and playing sport. Oh, and now I've got to go to work as well. And, you know, so normally assignments come in late, but now actually going to, lo- going to work late doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to reflect on that self-stuff. Um, they have to reflect on things like communication. Very good. A lot of them nowadays, digitally, mm-hmm. texting, they can do that. Ask an 18-year-old to pick up the phone. Oh, no, I'll, I'll text. No, pick the phone up. Yep. Um, you know, and, and so those sorts of things um, in a workplace, um, if you don't get a response, I'll oh, just keep on texting. Well, how long are you going to keep on texting for? Maybe it's good just to pick the phone up. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of those old-style communication of talking, oral communication, written communication, sending an email that's professional, not, you know, 
with the few characters. And yeah, yeah, yeah. All the emoticons. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Just, you know, a couple of emojis is, is an email. But um, so those sort of professional. Here's my funding application, smiley face, winky, winky. Absolutely. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and I think, the, and the other thing is, is, you know, again, these attributes that we're looking for our graduates to come out with. So leadership, for example. Mm. So um, we did a little bit of research um, a few years ago about our students going into workplaces as students. Um, and I now say to my students, are you students or are you professionals? Mm. And they kind of look at me going, well, I'm a student. And I go, well, are you? And eventually, Because they, you, you should never stop learning. Well, yes, but, but they're, they're labeled a student because mm. they're at Massey. Mm. Um, and then they're in the workplace. And I'm like, well, are you a student or are you a professional? Mm. And after a few rounds of that, they'll eventually go, oh, actually, I am a professional because they're in the workplace and they actually need to be professional. So, yes. And they'll have responsibility in the workplace. They might have a project or an event um, or they might be coaching a team if they're – some of them placed in a school. Um, so they might be doing some coaching for a, in a school team. Mm-hmm. So actually they're in charge. Yep. Um, but they often don't necessarily think they are because they're a student. And they do need to uh, identify that, I assume, to get the level of empowerment that you're perhaps looking for. Absolutely. I mean, I, from the not-for-profit sector, I would uh, align that to volunteering. Pretty much everyone volunteers. They don't know they're doing it. And it's very empowering when you realize that when you're mowing the lawn for someone, you're doing a community service. You are volunteering. You're helping somebody out. Absolutely. And particularly in the sport industry, I mean, as, as they go on in the industry, hopefully they will get a job where they're paid. Um, but they're also likely to continue volunteering. So I'm obviously fortunate enough that I get paid for my job at Massey. But I also coach a football team for a local football team and I run a Kids triathlon event here in Palmy. Well, I don't get paid for those. No. Um, so hopefully as they go forward, they'll see that being part of a community is, yes, you do your job and you get paid for that, but actually hopefully you'll still be coaching and you might be running an event or you might be on the committee for a local cricket team or mm. whatever. So it's part of that. And we get this, you know, again, the students, whilst they're doing their work placement, we'll often get them to volunteer. So we had a big... Um, the junior tough guy out at Massey. So, you know, the class comes along and we run it. Yep. Um, we have an inter-school triathlon and the, cu- the class comes along and, and they run it. Um, so they, you know, they can add all those things onto their CV. The, you know, the wheat bix comes to town, they help, they help out. Yep. So th- all these things are part of, I guess, not just developing a professional, but actually developing somebody who's part of a community. Yeah. And they also reflect on the network that they develop. Um, so as they start, their network might be quite small, but they go to work, the network's a little bit bigger, they start, they're part of netball, so you've got all the, the clubs and all those sorts of things, mm-hmm. and then you've got the sponsors, and, and suddenly at the end of six months, their network is huge. Absolutely. I, I, I think you've kind of answered this, but I want to put it in the right context to be sure about it. With the, the, the work integrated learning and the complementary experience, experiential learning that goes with that, which we've now defined, thank you very much. To what extent are you providing these opportunities for the students for you know their own personal development and, and growth as opposed to an economy that says in every job advert experience required? I guess the key thing um, that's changed, you know, my parents older would have had a job maybe for 30 years mm-hmm. and it would be the same job. Mm-hmm. Younger people today might be in a job for – they might have a number of jobs during their career, 10, you know, 15, two or, th- two or three years in a job, move on. So that 
ability to adapt. Um, so these competencies they're learning, whether that's to manage themselves, communication, leadership, their networks, etc., can be transferred to anything. So the the knowledge that they're learning, the discipline knowledge, is important. That might be event management or mm. coaching or um, sport development, whatever that might be. But the key thing are these transferable skills where whether you're in the workplace, whether you've transferred jobs or whether you're just at home with your family, um, you've got those skills. So I think it's about, I talk about um, personal development, but also professional development. So again, Mm -hmm. it comes back down to that sort of outward bound experience. So often people think going to outward bound is just doing outdoor stuff, but it's actually more the indoor stuff, the inner (laughs) Yeah, but there, there must there must be a, a positive uh, impact for for businesses that are recruiting, or, or sports teams, or institutions that are recruiting for these positions. And you can demonstrate what, whilst you've been studying, you might be a new graduate, but you've also got two years worth of experience in the field. Absolutely. So that that's certainly, and we we certainly talk about working to grade learning being a, a graduate point of difference that employers value. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're dead right. Um, you know, who are you going to take somebody? Who's, who's got a degree or somebody who's got a degree plus experience. Mm-hmm. So they're already, let's say, six months ahead of other graduates. And as I said, a lot of Massey students are also distant students, older adults. So um, the opportunity to reflect on your workplace, you know, most of us you know, often say, well, too busy, can't reflect, yep. Yep. I'm too busy today. Well, um, and that was a positive, well, a positive, uh, probably the only one of the pandemic. It gave a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people time to pause and reflect on their organizations, their cultures, their workflows, their practices, their policies. Yeah, and I guess what one of the things that we, we've seen over the last two years is, is how students are able to flip in a positive way uh, to an online environment. So for some students, it was COVID hit, let's say schools were locked down, oh, I can't go to work. Mm. Whereas for other students, they were like, well, actually, this is an opportunity. Yeah. So we saw, let's say, for example, with netball, um, one of our students, well, you can't play netball because we were all locked down, but she, at home, developed a whole lot of videos with a netball on her own, um, put them on, you know, which sort of went went live so that, the kids at home could still practice their netball and do a whole lot of fitness stuff. Um, one of my students was a professional ballet dancer who was supposed to go to Germany for a new job. Mm-hmm. Well, she was stuck in Wellington as a ballet dancer. Now, hard to do ballet on your own, but what she did was set up an international network for ballet dancers Good grief. to support each other. Um, so there was a whole lot of stuff and, you know, how how are you coping and, you know, so fantastic, yeah. Um, you know, um, we've just—I've um, I, made probably one or two too many references uh, or, or uh, comparisons to apprenticeships. But with apprenticeships in the trades, uh, government support and/or lack of it throughout the ages has been an issue. Is there government support for things like work integrated learning and experiential learning in these uh, either tertiary institutions or more academic institutions? Um, and if there isn't, should there be? Yeah, there certainly is, and I oh, guess good. yeah. I mean, I guess a little bit like the the politics system that, that obviously it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. For many courses at Massey, um, working to grey learning is a key part. So if you think of nursing, social mm-hmm. work, um, education, 
they're all part of the process. You can't become a social worker or a teacher without having been in a school or been in a hospital or etc. So uh, the government does support that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's part of the, the funding process. What we are lobbying for at the moment is for more support in that area. So the government and, and TUC, the Tertiary Education Commission, are, are really keen on working to grade learning. It's, um, the government wants graduates to be employable. Yeah. Um, so employability is a key thing. So we're certainly advocating um, through Universities New Zealand to say, well, if you want employable graduates, well, support this is, is the way to better. Do it. So um, there's a definite push at the moment to say, well, look, this is, this is important. We can do more of it. Um, so an example of that would be uh, last year we, our third year PE students, now go into schools in their third year before they go on to their sort of fourth year okay. training. Yeah. Now again, those students are, you know, well ahead of those sort of um, pre-service teachers that go in because they've already had six months yeah. in a the school. They've been in a classroom. They've they've coached some teams. They've helped out with events, and then they go into the training. So, again. That's where we might advocate to the government. Well, actually, we need a little bit more support. So, marvelous. Hopefully, hopefully they're listening. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, Tang Yu, Takeri, Ian McKelvey, regulars on the catch up. Pay attention. This is the way forward for uh, employable graduates. Uh, professor Andy Martin, uh, professor in sport and physical education at the School of Sport, Exercise and Nutrition at Massey University. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, and we have all learnt uh, about experiential learning, work integrated learning, uh, and the need for graduates with experience. If you want. To to listen to this uh, or any of the other catch-ups, uh, let's go to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with Jimmy Ellingham from Radio New Zealand. Uh, we've got Grant Smith, uh, Mayor of Palmerston North City Council on Thursday and Ian McKelvey on Friday, half past eight each day. Join us then. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.